Let us pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill this place and you would speak to our hearts this morning and that you would help us to see that Christmas isn't just for the happy, it is for the hurting and that you would press the truth of your grace and your goodness and your justice and your compassion and your mercy and your love into the corners of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I can see on your faces that uh, everybody has got their Christmas shopping done, so great job. Very happy for all of you. Uh, No, uh, I'm sure that you're feeling anxious like I am with all the stuff that has to get done as you're supposedly dialing it down uh, during this season and taking a step back from work and all that kind of stuff, but it feels like instead you're in a blender and uh, you're going from place to place and the anxiety levels are just rising and rising. So what I want to do is I just want to invite you this morning... Uh, to try to put that over there for a second so that we can give ourselves to this story. And uh, we are returning this morning to Mary's side of this story, the Christmas story. And uh, if you remember, two weeks ago, we began with that text that is known as the Annunciation. And then last week, we looked at Joseph's side of the story. Well, now we're coming back to Mary's side of the story. And we're coming to a very famous text Uh, Because it has what has been regarded as a song, and the song is known as the Magnificat. And that is just a title taken from the first word of the song in the Latin translation of this text. And uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce that in Latin, because I don't want to embarrass myself. But we're looking at the Magnificat this morning. And I want to begin by just noting just how powerful songs are. Songs have this ability to impact us emotionally. And everybody has songs that just make them sing or hum, at least, if you're on the shy side of things. But it's like you can't help it. It's they, they get in you and then they come out of you and sometimes involuntarily. 
And sometimes not even because you like them. Uh, being the father of three daughters, uh, I know all the soundtrack to Frozen, Moana, and The Greatest Showman because they have been sung millions of times in my house. But the text we're looking at this morning tells us that Mary had a song in her heart. And this is the moment that it comes out of her mouth. And you could actually look at this as one of the earliest examples in history of freestyle hip-hop. Because in freestyle, you pull it out of your gut. It's not all planned, but you're drawing on images and phrases and stories and traditions that have been baked deep within your soul. Mary's heart was steeped in the Jewish scriptures. And almost every word of this song involves some sort of allusion uh, to moments and phrases that are found throughout the Hebrew Bible in Israel's history. Uh, there's stuff from Genesis, there's stuff from Deuteronomy, there's stuff from Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk even, and, and Zephaniah. But maybe most uh, clearly we can see the parallels with the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And the occasion for Mary's song comes on the heels of her just getting some big news. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a son, but he's not going to be any ordinary son. He will reign on the throne of David. He will be son of the most high, son of God. And at first Mary struggled. How can this be? But ultimately she submitted. Let it be to me according to your word. And now in this moment, God in his kindness has told her about her older relative, Elizabeth, who was also with child, would turn out to be John the Baptist. And Mary quickly packs up and heads off to go see her. This is not a short Uber ride. Uh, this is a 90 mile journey and we're not sure how she made the trip. But what we are given is an opportunity to eavesdrop on an encounter between a teenage girl and a senior citizen. Elizabeth is probably in her 60s. She's never had children, but now she has a little life growing in her womb. And Mary is probably around 13. She would be in our Grace Teens Ministry, middle school version, most likely. But she too has a little life growing inside her womb. And when they meet, it says that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, opening her mind and heart to see what is happening. And what is happening is God is in the house. And that's when Mary explodes in a song. And you know what the main melody is? The main melody is joy. Now, joy can be a trigger word for some people during Christmas season. Because there's all this pressure to be happy. You've got all the parties you got to go to. There's all the meals you're supposed to share. There's the gifts. There's the Christmas songs, right? You can't get away from it. There's the lights. And it's like everything is pressuring you to. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But, but it's not. Not for you. You're not happy. You're hurting. And so you begin to feel like you're faking it through the season. You know, everybody, I would say, is at least a little bit sad. Some of y'all are really good at hiding it, but everybody's at least a little bit sad. But some of us are absolutely crushed. And here's what I want you to hear. 
Christmas brings good news to the hurting. And Mary's song tells us how and why. And you may notice that this song is way edgier than many of our Christmas carols. It's not even a smidge sentimental. And the song begins by focusing on what God has done for Mary, but it quickly moves to what God does for all his people and for all who will fear him. And the thing that we have to see, uh, maybe most importantly, is this. Mary isn't just seeing God in her little story. She's seeing herself in light of God's big story. And that's what's producing the joy. And this song is inviting us all to do the same thing. The story of Mary's life is being rescripted in the light of the story of the God of Israel. And I want to highlight three things that are fueling the joy for her about God this morning. Mary rejoices in the God who blesses, in the God who reverses, and in the God who remembers his covenant love and his promises. So let's start first with that, with that first one. Mary rejoices in the God who blesses. Now, if you notice uh, in the encounter with Elizabeth, three times Elizabeth shouts out, blessed. Verse 42, blessed are you among women, all women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you who believe there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to you from the Lord. And guess what? When Mary begins to sing her song, she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. But you got you to recognize from the outside looking in, Mary's life didn't look so blessed. She wasn't exactly winning at life. She was poor. She was powerless. She was at the bottom, not the top of society. And now she has a baby growing in her belly before she's married to Joseph. Mary is what we would call an at-risk youth. And I can imagine she was pretty scared. Right? What are people going to think? What's Joseph going to think? Her life from the outside looking in didn't look blessed. You know what it looked like? It looked ruined. And the troubling part is God is doing this to her. Is that what blessedness is? Having God interrupt and then ruin your life? No, 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 no. This language of blessing is not about Mary finally winning the lottery or getting the promotion. The blessing she received was the favor, the nearness, the presence of the Lord, and being tasked with playing a part in his plan of redemption. And she is experiencing this blessing by believing what the Lord has promised. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, what are the things that we have to wrestle with is this. Mary was not chosen for this because of her virtue. She was chosen by grace. And that's important for us to recognize about the God who blesses. Because everything in our life feels, feels about establishing our worthiness. I mean, that's what the college admission process feels like. That's what interviewing for a job feels like. That's what trying to find a spouse can feel like, right? About proving ourselves, our worthiness, our being better than others. And it is so incredibly exhausting. We try, 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 try to get blessed through our accomplishments, but God didn't look with favor on Mary because of anything that she had done. He looked with favor on her in her humble estate. 
verse 48 says. Now, I want, I, want, I want to ask you this question. How do you tend to think about your inadequacy and weaknesses? How, what do you make of your limitations? Your battle with mental illness? Your struggle with unprocessed trauma? Or even your failures? And how does God look at those? Is he, is he disappointed in you? Or maybe worse, maybe he's disgusted. And here's what's putting on, been being put on display for us in this moment. Is that God loves and blesses without concern for pre-existing conditions. Because it is the disposition of God to bless his people. So your instinct and my instinct might be to believe that he loves to curse. But he loves to bless his people. And the child that Mary is carrying in her womb will bear witness to this. You know, when Jesus begins his public ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, some of his first words are this, blessed are you. And what, who are the blessed? Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are hungry and thirsting for justice and righteousness. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Because this is who God is. One who blesses without regard to pre-existing conditions. Mary wasn't the richest. She wasn't the best educated. She wasn't the most well-respected, most virtuous, or most well-connected. But God picked her anyways. God took a nobody and made her somebody by his love and grace. And this brought a joy that wasn't dependent on her circumstances. You know, Ruth Whitman is a British author who uh, several years ago wrote a book called America the Anxious. And it was all about her experience of living in America for a while. And she said, Americans are obsessed with happiness. And happiness is always tied to what's happening in your life. And it goes up and down. And even when things are going well and we're feeling happy, we're also simultaneously incredibly anxious that it's all going to go away. And it creates all sort of pathologies in our life. And it actually begins to just put our whole being in disarray. Mary is experiencing a joy that is not dependent on her circumstances. And you know what her response is? It's an eruption of praise. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is rejoicing in the fact that God is her salvation. She's, being, she's having her story caught up in the story of salvation. The story of salvation that God has been unfolding throughout history. And she is now recognizing she is the recipient of it. You ever notice throughout this story of scripture how God's heart seems like it's always being drawn to the poor and the destitute. And why is that the case? It is not because being poor and destitute is virtuous. It is because when you have nothing in the world, it's a lot easier to see your need. The more charmed your life is, the less you feel like you need God. But those who have nothing begin to recognize that it is a lie. We are self-sufficient and we've got it all figured out. And Mary is having her lowliness resituated in light of the God who saves, the God who blesses. And she begins marveling at the character of God. Do you notice as she's singing this song, uh, she's recognizing that the one who blessed her is mighty and holy and, and merciful. Right? She's marveling at his power. 
He's the mighty one, she says in verse 9. All-powerful. Nothing can stop his purposes. No one can stand against his will. She marvels at his holiness. Holy is his name, she says in verse 49. Which means you and I, we get used to people taking advantage of each other. God never does. We get used to brokenness and harm. God never does. We get used to racism. God never does. We get used to, to all the, the just sin and junk in the world. But God never does because he is holy. And he is at war with everything undoing the world. He's at war with envy and bitterness and greed and dishonesty and selfishness. But you know what else? Mary is also marveling at his mercy. His mercy is for those who fear him, she says. Now look, these three attributes of God come together in the most beautiful way. And you're going to have to hang on to it. But I want you to think about this for a second. If God was just holy but not powerful, he could hate sin but not be able to do anything about it. If God was powerful but not holy, he might not want to do anything about it. And if God was powerful and holy but not merciful, none of us would stand a chance. But Mary is feeling in this moment that the God who comes near, the God who is entering in and rescripting her life, is a God who is powerful and holy and merciful. And it's causing joy to erupt in her soul. Mary is seeing her life through the eyes of faith. She is not rooting her her happiness in her circumstances, she is trusting God and taking him at his word. But you know what's kind of cool is she sort of needed the help of Elizabeth to get it. You know, how often is it the case when you're going through something terrible in your life that it's in the presence of someone that you love and trust who also believes this that you find yourself saying, no, this is true. I really do believe this. Mary's having that experience Right now in the presence of Elizabeth, she's beginning to see her life through the lens of who God is instead of viewing God through how her life is. See, you can have this story too. When your story gets caught up in the story of the God who blesses, you can have a joy that isn't dependent on your circumstances, a joy that can even find you in your hurts. Into your hurting, broken, bankrupt reality, God himself comes And his presence and his love is what makes us blessed. Now, here's the second thing. Mary rejoices in the God who reverses. You might be saying to yourself, you know, it's wonderful that God grows near to us in our loneliness and brokenness. Great to have you here, God. But what about all the injustice in the world? Does God care? Everywhere we look, there is evil and carnage. There are horrors in the Middle East right now. There is bloodshed and violence in Europe. There are abuse scandals popping up all over the place. Does God care? And the answer is yes. He deeply cares about injustice in the world. More than you and I do. And Christmas is actually proof of it. But that's not how we normally think about Christmas. We have the saccharine, sentimental sort of version of it. But when you look at this passage... Mary is singing about God showing up to establish his rule and his reign. And I love the phrase in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. Do you know what that is? 
It's God flexing. God is flexing in this moment in the arrival of Messiah. And what he's doing is he's beginning the reversal that he had always promised. God reverses and reorders the way the world works. What does that look like? What does that sound like? Well, listen to Mary's voice. He scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty from their thrones. He exalts the humbled. He fills the hungry. He sends the rich away empty. Mary is praising God for his saving work. And that work is a work of total renewal. Undoing all that is broken and wrong in the world. The proud he will scatter. The arrogant he will topple. The humble he will lift up. Or as one person put it, he will take down the bullies. And he will raise up the destitute. You know, Luke, the author of this gospel, he loves to highlight these themes of reversal in Jesus' ministry. When you, when, you, when you read the gospel of Luke with that in mind, you'll see it pop out everywhere. Because in the kingdom of God, things are turned upside down, inside out. God is putting right what has got, gone wrong. But here's the thing that you may have noticed is that Mary's saying all this in the past tense. And how can this be when the Savior hasn't even been born yet? And this is the thing. Mary regards God's character as so trustworthy. She sings it like it's as good as done. But also, in choosing Mary, God is doing what he promised to do. Passing over the proud and self-important and lifting up the powerless and the lowly. Mary is singing, my God sees those who are poor. My God cares For those who are crushed, my God delivers those who are bound. And this delights her. But you know what else she's saying? He won't just do that for me. He will do it all over the world. Christmas thunders against the views we have that it is power and success and wealth and self-exertion and self-magnification that fixes the world. And it says, no, 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 that's what's breaking the world. And the outrage we feel at the world's injustices is, first of all, outrage in the heart of God, as Fleming Rutledge put it. God's wrath isn't the opposite of his love. It's the outworking of his love. And as we come to submit ourselves to this king, we actually get caught up in that story and become agents of the reversal he's accomplishing. Nonviolent, self-sacrificial ways. But that's what the ethics of Jesus is all about when you read the gospel. Is God undoing what is broken here. And you know what this is? This is good news for the hurting. The arrival of the Messiah anticipates a day of justice when God will right all that is wrong with the world. Justice is part of the hope. The renewal and restoration of the entire world. But that's only good news for you and me if there's mercy too. And that's why the last thing is so important. Mary rejoices in the God who remembers. Notice verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. That word mercy is uh, a word that has a long history in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And it refers to God's steadfast love, his covenant kindness, his faithful grace. 
And Mary is rejoicing in the fact that God remembers that. He never forgets. He always acts upon it. He promised it to Abraham and his offspring forever, she says. And now it is that very steadfast love that is forming flesh in the womb of Mary. You know, we do well to remember that God remembers. That he does not forget. Which means the pain that's assaulting you right now, it isn't pointless. God will reshape it by his steadfast love. It means that sorrow that might be strangling the life out of you right now. God will transform it by his steadfast love. It means that that loss that feels like death to you, God will raise up in glory according to his steadfast love because he remembers, he never forgets. And this is the thing that I I think is, is maybe the most beautiful thing about the story is what Mary knew. You know the song, Mary, did you know? Yeah, uh, whatever. What did Mary really know at the time? Well, not much. She's the only person who's present with Jesus at both the manger and at the cross. And she couldn't have known this at the time, but it was at the cross where all of this stuff comes together and begins to make sense. Because God is holy, he had to crush sin and evil. Because he is powerful, he's the only one who could crush sin and evil. But because he is merciful, he found a way to crush it without crushing us. And how did that happen? By letting himself be crushed for us. The powerful, holy, merciful God comes into our world in Christ to give his very life, to pay the debt our sins deserve, and to rise again as the first fruits of the new world that is coming. And all of this is because he is a God who remembers his promises. He is a God who never forgets his covenant love. Maybe you're here this morning and um, you think the world will never change. And, And it feels like you have good reason for that. Or maybe... More precisely, you think your life will never change. Nothing can change this mess. But you know what Christmas tells us? It tells us, oh, it will. The world will change and your life will change because God is the God who blesses and God is the God who reverses because God is a God who always remembers his covenant love and his promises. This is good news for the weak and the hungry and the helpless. This is good news for the barren and the poor. This is good news for the left out and the left behind. This is good news for the forgotten and the left over. This is good news for those set aside and pushed to the margin. This is good news for sinners like you and me who long to be made new. God chose to enter the world as unprotected, unarmed, defenseless flesh. So that he could bear the curse of sin and death. He clothed himself in weakness, even as he was coming in power. And you know what? Mary is believing these things, even though she doesn't quite understand all that will transpire. But she had an anchor for her hope. And you know what it was? It was that baby growing in her belly. Whenever she struggled or doubted, she could put her hand on her tummy and say, God has remembered his people. And you know, we have an anchor too. It's the resurrection of Jesus. 
the resurrection of Jesus, the first fruits of new creation, tell, tell us that our hope is not a hope-so hope. It is a no-so hope. Christmas isn't for happy people. It is for the hurting. And the hope it offers isn't trite. It reaches us in our pain and suffering. Your battle with chronic illness, your job loss, your loneliness, your depression, your anxiety, your unsatisfying marriage, your guilt, your envy, your bitterness, your sense of condemnation. Christmas speaks to all of it. And it tells us that God blesses and God reverses because he is a God who remembers his covenant love and his promises. The radical claim of Christmas is that the one who made the world and rules the world actually entered the world, not just to be with us, but to rescue us and make all things new. And when that gets in you, what it produces is joy. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we thank you for your salvation. It's you're the God who draws near the needy and the weak and the suffering and the helpless. You're a God who moves toward Uh, the sinner and the broken. And that you're a God who in your wisdom has figured out the way to crush sin and evil without crushing us. So Lord, would you make this land on our hearts today? Would you make it speak to those hurts and wounds and that brokenness and sorrow and that sin and bondage? And may we find ourselves erupting in joy because of what you have done in Jesus. We need you by your Holy Spirit to press this in uh, because, Lord, there are so many things that are leading our hearts elsewhere. So would you come? Would you make yourself known? Would you kindle hope? Would you renew joy? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.